the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time highs. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this Makes your head spin. Welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I will be your host on this week's edition where you get breaking news. Hey, make sure if you haven't already subscribed, just hit that subscribe button, like, and share it with everyone you know. This is awesome information you can only get here on Live from the Vault. Uh, and with that, today, uh, by the way, you want to fasten your seatbelts because we have a special guest returning, joining us again. Uh, he's been on Bloomberg recently, uh, CNBC, MSM. He's all over the place these days, but we have him here today on Live from the Vault. You're not going to want to miss this. Mr. David Tice is here with us. Uh, so let's get started here today with Talking Gold with Andy McGuire. Shane, great to see you again, my friend. Um, yeah, and, and this is exciting, yeah, because um, I'm looking forward to um, speaking to uh, David in a minute, as you say, hot, right hot off the, uh, the press here. And um, so, yeah, let's, let's get into, I think uh, we've got a lot to go through, so let's get into, I think there were some questions um, that came up. Yes, uh, actually, we have a question here by one of our subscribers, and we want to keep uh, encouraging everyone to go ahead and comment and ask questions. Uh, we do review this, and it's coming from Michael Rawlings. He's asking the following, and I'm going to quote, if the BIS is forcing Basel III with the NSFR Accords in June to make a gold the Tier 1 asset requiring an 85% backing of physical gold, uh, in the paper markets, doesn't this hurt them as well? Now, his, his question, Andy, continues. Does this hurt them? Why is that? Because he thought, or he thinks, that the BIS and the LBMA were kind of somehow together manipulating the uh, precious metals uh, pricing and so on. So uh, if, if this is true, why would the BIS seek to hurt itself to unwind all these massive derivative positions that we've talked about almost every week for the last six months uh, enforcing this Basel three. Oh, Shane, great question. And, um, and I think in, in it, if, we, if we just add to that, uh, the confusion surrounding the implementation date uh, for this Basel three, then we pretty much have the whole gambit of questions uh, that we can address around this subject. And I know that it is right on the front burner because there are a lot of people that don't believe that this is going to do anything but what what just addressing the timeline now what's causing confusion around the implementation date is that there are a wide range of these basel three compliance standards that need to be implemented now some before june 28th and some by the first of january 2022 and that was an extension that was allowed uh, by the BIS to certain uh, jurisdictions. However, our focus is on the net stable funding requirements, which is what he refers to is NSFR. And as this is really the primary gold interbank revaluation component for gold. So while the general rule for full Basel III compliance has been extended to the 1st of January, 2022, and there's no dispute there is, our focus is on how these rules will still impact the gold markets. Now, I mean, look, we've got, uh, there's gonna be a, the commencement with the way we view it. There's gonna be three large gold price revaluation stair steps. And we're approaching step one, where the gold will have to be priced 
um, in significantly higher by the end of the second quarter 2021. And there's reasons for that. And to be clear, currently, and just you know, the EU, uh, Switzerland, the US, and places like Hong Kong and etc. have already adopted and will, as of June 28th, enforce the all-important net stable funding ratio standards. While the UK has been granted an extension till January the 1st, 2022. So I guess more immediately, I guess the question is, should the treatment of gold under Basel III be good or bad for gold? I mean, really, that's what it boils down to. And there are so many differing opinions on this. So I'll give you my opinion uh, viewed through a physical supply demand wholesale market lens, which is a little diff different to perhaps those that view this, that, that are sort of incorporated inside the paper markets. Now, first and foremost, Basel III rules are designed to eliminate interbank counterparty risk. But, I mean, this is what they are designed to do. And these rules quickly segue into Basel IV, which will be implemented in 2023. So can't delay it much longer because this is back to back and already it's delayed a year. So under Basel III, unallocated gold gets an 85% haircut versus physical gold, which conversely morphs into a first tier asset. I mean, pretty much that is what we're discussing here. Now, if unallocated gold continues to be utilized as the funding source for gold leases, to, to accommodate such onerous financing conditions, such as an 85% haircut, would actually lead to massive increase in leasing costs. And absolutely sure, this will raise the cost of traditional bullion bank financing. But I actually see this as a very good thing. I see this as a positive for the price of physical gold and very, very bad for the paper markets. And, and this raises a lot of issues for the highly leveraged paper markets themselves. Now, currently, banks can own uh, allocated physical bullion and sell a futures contract to hedge and, and hedge this position. Now, if the futures price is in contango, i.e. it is higher than the spot price, it also makes a small spread for them. So this is the trade that we everyone traditionally knows. Now, in this case, under Basel III, the banks do not need to reserve extra funding for gold as really this is a plain vanilla market risk of the gold price being hedged by a, a, physical, a physical product being hedged by a futures product, one-to-one. -one. Now, that would be fine if, and only if, uh, if it was real physical being hedged one-to-one. -one. And that's a very small component of the volumes we see. However, the bulk of this 15 trillion a year gold market cleared by the LPMCL it is in unallocated, fractionally held form. So, so if you net this out amongst a small group of LBMA member banks, there, there is no physical settlement to the bulk of these transactions. And, and look, if you add derivatives, you're looking at something like 25 trillion a year. I mean, this is a massive, massive potential counterparty risk for the banking system. Now, obviously, if over-the-counter gold credit stands in place of an allocated physical gold. So in other words, instead of allocated, you're, you're, you're looking at an over-the-counter contract and it's then hedged 
uh, short with a futures contract, look, this is no more than a paper contract hedging a paper contract. Now, therein lays the problem for the cartel, utilizing huge leverage to manage the price of gold. And there's no dispute that gold is managed, not only by officials, as if every, and gold is a currency. Of course, all currencies are managed. So to have gold rise too much above the dollar on a short-term basis is not a good sign. So that's why gold is obviously managed. And then you have the insider banks who are very, very privileged to have gold accounts with the Bank of England. These guys know what's happening. So that, that's been the game. It's sort of scratch my back, scratch your back. That's kind of really why we've seen such a, a multi-year since 1974, we've seen a multi-year sort of suppression and dilution of gold. Well, this is going to address that. Now, currently, and it's important to understand, a gold asset sitting on the balance sheet of a bullion bank is counted as a long fractionally held 100 to 1 leveraged over-the-counter unallocated gold position when it's hedged with a futures contract. That's the current situation. But we just said that's paper to paper. Bottom line, this is little more than fiat gold credit hedged by a fractionally backed futures contract. I mean, look, this results in what? Six to 8,000 tons of paper gold cleared by the LPMCL on a daily basis versus what? Three to five tons of physical settled in the same day. Now, after Basel III is implemented, unallocated gold credit will require this 85% haircut that he's referring to. So we see these diluted paper-centric volumes massively being reduced. Now, how can that be bad for physical gold price discovery when you're really eliminating a lot of paper flow? And those that choose to argue that thousands of tons of paper gold cleared every day are necessary for the gold market to function, from a wholesale market perspective, we only see a fraction of these flows as relating to legitimate bullion banking business, such as jewelry, refiner financing, et cetera, et cetera. So just cast your mind back. This is, this is why it, it starts to crystallize. Cast your mind back to the March 2020 EFP blow up to provide just a snapshot of how dislocated the paper gold price has become. Now, all it took was the T plus two physical delivery demands, i.e. somebody saying, I want delivery in two days, which is my right if I buy a spot contract. So in other words, I want my delivery uh, and I, I want delivery. And what happened was it, there were so many people asking for delivery at once, it narrowed the 100 to one paper gold flywheel. And that came close, very, very close to toppling the multi-trillion dollar inverted paper gold derivative pyramid. Now, it's precisely this massive uh, counterparty risk that the BIS is attempting to address. So look, bottom line, this was a rush to allocate physical gold backing fiat gold that blew up the EFP conduit on March 2020. And look at any chart and see what happened there. And the new rules are going to require a provable one-to-one -one ratio. So no, you know, far less paper gold being, uh, being uh, run through as cleared every day. So with physical gold moving from this third-tier asset into a first-tier asset, we're already witnessing a move by central banks and sovereigns 
to repatriate physical gold holdings ahead of Basel III implementation date. We've seen lots of this, and furthermore, we're seeing central bank buying. Now, so under these rules, essentially, every single central bank will be able to revalue its physical reserves higher from a 50% haircut into a full, fully cash equivalent asset. Now, the idea is that central banks will be able to pay off massive swathes of debt by revaluing their physical gold reserves against the dollar. Now, this is likely where we see, as we've said multiple times, probably 2,500 gold triggers that revaluation point. So look, if we just take the US, for example, if we look at the, what I think it was 8,130 tons or thereabouts of officially held US gold, offset, if you offset a fresh money printing, look, even at current prices, diluted prices, likely that would raise 5 trillion. That could be realized just by revaluing. Now, but this also raises another question. How much of these US gold holdings are rehypothecated? And look, you only have to look at the shenanigans around the tiny 300 tons of German repatriation request in 2013 to raise these questions where we were told that it would take seven years at one point to repatriate this tiny 300 tons, which could have been done in a week. Now, look, this is not all a happy, happy club. While China and Russia have been very happy to see gold price contained because it allowed them to build their reserves, it is, is I mean, this is the question. I think we asked this question last time. Is this the, part, the time for China to actually disclose its estimated 25,000 tons of gold? To me, it would be. And this would be the ultimate and winning art of war and insiders are betting on it and and look so are we quite clearly but this is where it gets super interesting these changes come into effect just as the cma and lm lbma unallocated fractional gold cartel is under attack right where it hurts their unallocated price physical bullion stocks are definitely under attack from a market starved of immediately deliverable bullion priced at current unallocated gold prices. Look, this has never happened before. This game could have proceeded, could have carried on as it has for years and years and years. But we see, Basil, look, this is a no brainer. Of course, if you're going to revalue, if you're going to revalue gold, physical gold as a tier one asset, and you then conversely give a haircut to an 85% um, 85% haircut to, to unallocated gold. Where is the downside for gold on that? I just don't understand how that could possibly be. Well, Andy, I'll tell you, a paper fiat gold pyramid, what could possibly uh, go wrong? But given what you've just said, uh, how do you think that the foreign central banks are gonna value gold coming into the Basel III and Basel IV? I think it's important um, to, to re-look re at this. Now, we looked at this a little in our last episode. Now, obviously, we'd like to pick up the threads and keep a consistency here because this is, the, again, this is a primary component of, and also it helps answer the question of why perhaps, um, you know, you, you'd suddenly see the BIS wanting a higher price. As Look, as far as gold is concerned, Basel III and Basel IV addresses a major imbalance, which is pretty much that gold 
gold's collateralization of US foreign obligations has reached historic lows. And under the covers, this is one of the main objectives that Basel III and IV is forced to address. In fact, to support dollar hegemony, we see this as the primary reason gold must be revalued higher. It's a no-brainer. And look, you just have to look back a little historic, a little history. The current ratio of gold to foreign debts outstanding is actually barely 6%, perhaps even 5%. And this ratio is significantly below the 20 to 40%, which is the historical average, which, which is what we think the BIS expects this ratio to revert into following this implementation of Basel III. And even more, remember Basel IV follows, that's even more stri stringent. So what we're saying, even at current prices, if you restored a 20 to 40% ratio of gold to foreign debts, which is one of the reasons that we're seeing a lot of uh, central banks repatriating and buying gold. So essentially, because you want to see some form of backing to this depreciating US dollar, um, really, if you then put that ratio into play, then really, as we said last time, at a 20%, it's $6,000 an ounce, at 40%, $12,000 per ounce. It, I mean, those are not pie in the sky. Just because we've been brainwashed to think that a paper gold price should be in the teens, it's a joke. Of course not. And, and I, I know that um, I listened to, I mentioned it last time, I listened to Luke Groman, and, and he was drawing attention to the last time that the US dollar was questioned was in 1980. And you have to pull up a chart and see what happened to gold in 1980. Um, and that was when foreign held treasuries of the US government were at 140%, not 6%, 5%, 6%, not 20%, not 40%. They were 140% collateralized uh, by gold. And so really what that would do is if we saw a situation like that, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if we did, then that would be a $43,000 gold price. Now, realistically, though, by the time Basel IV is implemented, and that's in 2023, Gold will have to be trading somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand dollars per ounce. Have you got yours? <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Now, Andrew, um, just before we bring on David, I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, uh, this interview with David. But um, you kind of surprised uh, our, our silver friends around the world with your silver price targets. Can you tell us in the last couple of weeks if that's changed? And, and by the way, to our uh, guests, if you haven't heard it, go look at the last interview. But uh, go ahead, Andy. Has, has anything changed with the silver price targets? Uh, do you know what? <laughs> no. In fact, if anything, it's become a little more obvious. Now, look, it, it, all we have to do is here is we're not, we're not, we're not, you know, trying to do anything other than follow the same parameters. Um, and, and gold has to be revalued. So we know this. Um, so currently, uh, the gold-silver cross is, or the ratio is about, what, 60 ounces to one of gold, 60 ounces of silver to one of gold. I mean, that's a crazy number, but this, this puts silver at a minimum right now at somewhere between 95 and 190 bucks an ounce. Now, just based on the 20 to 40%, uh, as we just discovered in, uh, looked at in gold, look, look, we're not even going to look at 1980 levels. I mean, really, if that was the case, 
and we're discounting it right now, but that would be 680 bucks an ounce. And, and those are, look, we're just applying the same parameters. So, but look, as gold breaks loose of its unallocated collar, silver is going to too. It's, it is absolutely certain to. And in fact, silver is far more oversold than even gold. Now this puts the gold-silver cross ratio closer to a 16 to one. I don't think there's anyone on the planet Earth other than an industry apologist that would dispute the fact that 16 to one, 16 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold is actually a fair value. So really, what's this gonna do? It's gonna put a short squeeze on silver and that ratio is actually gonna become magnetic. So you don't even have to have an increasing silver price to have those kind of numbers. But of course we will have an increase in silver price. And once we see the unwind of an, the, this unallocated collar uh, removed from silver, I, I see silver's 2023 20, year potential at round 375 could be as high as 750. And just as we said last time, if the dollar fails, look, and we, I know that this was, this is hard to even take in, but we said, look, it wouldn't just be gold at 2,500, it'd be silver at 2,500 and gold probably in the 40,000 level. Look, the question is, why would it not be this way? It's just that we are brainwashed, psyoped, and conditioned to think in paper market terms. This is not the case. And look, and I'm just saying to people, don't discount these targets. We're in encountering what is really unprecedented circumstances. So in, in this attempt to maintain dollar hegemony, Basel III seeks to address this global imbalance. This is more important than anything else. It's about, it's about stopping the failure of a derivative implosion. And, it, and gold is one of the biggest, biggest components. Now, the first step is, as we say, devaluing unallocated gold into a high, uh, into a high risk weighted 30-year asset and then physical gold into this first-year asset. So Basel III will stair-step gold higher into the much more aggressive Basel IV standards coming into force by 2023. And believe me, we'll look at Basel IV next time. It is so onerous. We're gonna, you're going to see haircuts to banks that could cost them trillions and put some banks out of business. You're going to see haircuts on loans to businesses at 50%. I mean, th this is, this is, it's actually a little bit sinister. All I can say is get your physical, load up on physical and, and, and at least protect yourself from some, from this fallout. Well, Andy, well, on that exciting note, I'm pretty sure our silver, uh, people that love silver, just like me are, really, really excited to hear this, this news and the shakeup that's happening all over the world here. Um, on that exciting note, Andy, let's bring on, and I'm looking forward to this interview with David Tice. Over to you. Thanks, Shane. And on that exciting note, let's bring in David Tice. Uh, hey, welcome, David. It is, I mean, honestly, it is a real honor for me to have you here with us today. And, and thanks so much for coming back for another episode of Live from the Vault. Well, so glad to be with you and your listeners, Andrew. You're a dear friend and you're providing such a great service for investors around the world with your knowledge of the gold uh, and silver markets. And, and I'm very proud to be here. 
Oh, well, that's, that, that, that feelings mutual. I feel privileged, David. And, and look, I think you have to remember, I mean, this, go, this goes out to an audience where, I mean, honestly, some, some of our listeners are probably 12 years old and making millions on the stock market at this point, and part of the Reddit group and one thing or another. And so not everyone, I mean, although most of us sages know you really, really well, I just want to... Uh, tiny bit of background because i mean i first came across you david um after you founded i mean the prudent bear fund oh gosh i was that i think that was 1996 is that right i think around that date is that correct that, that's it exactly andrew okay. so so i'm a kansas city boy so i'm from the midwest attended tcu got into the investment business when i was 31 years old and actually started a service called Behind the Numbers, which provided investment research to money managers. And we provided sell recommendations. So we took on Wall Street, which was 98% buy recommendations. And we told investment managers what stocks they should sell and sell short. So I've always kind of been a friend of the little guy to warn against Wall Street, where they tried to suck people in. In 1996, I founded the Prudent Bear Fund, which was the first actively managed fund of its kind that actually was allowed to short stocks. And from 96 to 99 was a tough period to make uh, money on the short side. I warned individuals about a decline in the market, which was to come, actually sponsored a symposium in 1999 that was covered by the front page of the Wall Street Journal the next day at the Waldorf historian told them about this credit bubble. I also called the credit bubble in 2008. So a lot of times I've been right in these credit bubbles. I'm really a student of credit and Austrian school economics. I tend to be too early sometimes. I've been a big fan of gold. We invested in gold and silver mining companies inside the Prudent Bear Fund, which allowed us to generate an outstanding rate of return from 10 years where we beat the market by about 800 basis points a year. Uh, so I've been a big believer in gold and precious metals. You know, David, I used to so look forward to your the daily appearances on CNBC. They, as you say, they were they were they were the cheerleaders, weren't they? And and you used to come on and try and upset the show. It was just so fantastic to see you taking them on. The only voice out there that was, you know, every taxi driver was watching CNBC and they could just make money by keep on buying and buying and buying. And what you used to do was provide this rare balancing view. Uh, against all this this huge buy buy mantra, uh, I, and once again I see your insights, <laughs> David, being sought uh, by the mainstream media. I mean, we're seeing Bloomberg and, and everyone's seeking your views again. Well, a, a lot of times I say uh, it's tough to find a bear out there because there's so much optimism and people like bulls at a cocktail party. People. Uh, being bullish sells more advertising on CNBC and, and people just like to rock along and make money. However, I say you only have to get rich once and therefore you better protect your wealth and you better understand history and you better understand that what goes up must come down. And I'm a believer in the Austrian school that says the magnitude of any decline 
is proportional to the excesses created during the prior boom. And we've created excesses with all this mountains of debt that we have. We've, with this pandemic where we've put a lot of businesses, you know, out of, out of business and small businesses make up about 45% of GDP. And we've essentially ripped the guts out of these small businesses. And it's a very, very tough economic cycle. I think there's risk of inflation coming back with all the Federal Reserve largesse that's going on today. We've never seen an explosion of debt and increase in the size of the Fed's balance sheet. And therefore, we're at potentially very dangerous times for equity markets. Do you know, I, I, I love the little story you told me a little while ago about you going to China um, after being asleep as a bear. Tell, please tell everyone of this story. I mean, to me, this, is, this, this says so much. Well, I sold my equity fund, the Prudent Bear Fund, after it had grown to $1.6 billion, the family of two funds. Uh, in 1998. And then after that period, I got involved in private equity, got involved in some movie making, got involved in some charity work, etc. And really avoided the financial markets for a while. But I was working with a fund uh, and we were making a road trip through China. And so I had it, an interpreter and it just came to me at the last minute that I, I had talked about my experience in 1999, warning about the 2000 bubble and warning about the 2008 bubble. And so I said, you know, I'd produce some movies. And so I was a bear and I literally got on the floor and I surprised all these Chinese. And I said, I was a bear that had been hibernating. But then I literally laid on the floor for about five seconds and then I got out and I just put my arms back and I said, but this bear has come out of hibernation because equity markets and bond markets and what the Federal Reserve was doing uh, indicated to me that this was the time for a bear to get back in the game. Because so I ended up starting a gold equity hedge fund and getting involved in a bear ETF because I felt like individuals needed to be warned again that this is another 2008, another 2000 that was coming ahead. And the little guy needed to be warned about that. So this is interesting, this, this bear ETF, David. Um, and, and so, so who, who can participate in that? So this is a ETF that's available um, in, in markets everywhere. You can buy it through any brokerage firm. And we made a boatload of money in uh, the, February to April period when we had the COVID decline. We gave a lot back. Uh, the fund has typically does not do that well in rallies, but we do very, very well in big declines. And so we invest, we short sell very, very bad companies with increased debt levels and declining cash flows and companies that are exceptionally overpriced and these companies go down a lot in a market decline so it's a great hedge for your portfolio if you feel as if the market's going to decline 
and that's so interesting because now look i mean i mean i i know very little i mean i specialize in gold and silver and obviously i have to understand the crosses uh, but but really one thing that really boggles my 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 mind is you see this the nasdaq recently ballooning more than double its 2000 highs i mean look there's got to be some parallels here david um are there, can you give me your view on 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 this is this a bubble again or what's going on yes this is definitely a bubble andrew and you look at the warren buffett's favorite indicator which is uh, the wilshire 5000 index compared to gdp and we are at all-time record levels. You look at, we're at 40 times trailing earnings. Uh, we now have 130% debt to GDP, which shows how dangerously leveraged we are on the economy. You look at the lack of fiscal or monetary discipline in the system. We've never seen anything like this in terms of, it used to be we threw numbers around in terms of budget deficits and stimulus bills, uh, $100 billion or two or $300 billion. Now we've moved to the T word. We know we've moved to uh, $2 trillion for this COVID relief, relief bill for the bill on infrastructure. People are talking about three to $5 trillion. We've no longer, have reporting for M1 because it's growing so fast. So this is a very, very dangerous period. There's a lot of optimism. One thing about Wall Street, I mentioned before about optimism. People love to be optimistic and they love to say, okay, the pandemic is uh, lessening that we are now going to be uh, have people back to work. We have the vaccine. All these companies are gonna make all of this money. However, there's a great deal of risk in the economy with these elevated prices. Just looking at bond prices, you look at the bond market is really 10 times bigger than any of the other markets. And we've gone from January 26th of a, on the 10 year a yield of 1.02 to 1.56. So that's a 50 uh, percentage points over just a month and a half. That's dangerous. And I think it's indicating uh, problems in the system. We keep floating treasuries. There's a potential for more inflation out there and the markets are sniffing this out. This is, this is wild stuff. I mean, look, I mean, I guess one of the primary questions that we get around at the moment is, is after this, especially after the last four weeks, is, is the general underperformance of gold and silver over this last four week period. And, 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 and what you're just referring to, I mean, we've seen persistent dollar strength, rising bond yields. And, and I mean, I think we got a lot of algos just simply forget supply demand, for, forget everything else. These algos just momentum sell every time we, we almost tick for tick see this trade. Now, obviously what that's done to me is that's created a massive, um, a, a massive opportunity, a, a price discount here uh, that from a wholesale market perspective sees uh, very, very strong physical demand. We're seeing central banks. And in fact, with the price of oil going up, we see Russia coming back into, into the market to buy gold, uh, China coming into the market. We see Asia, we see Turkey buying, we see all these guys buying. 
And in fact, if you looked at the COT report um, last, the last two or three weeks, well, what you're seeing is the same insiders who, who, are, who are actually responsible for uh, physician concentration, uh, pulling bids at, 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 at sort of uh, important uh, points, actually going long and actually taking the long side. So essentially, I think, um, I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously this leads us more into gold, David, but to me, you are, you were the earliest mainstream commentator to draw attention to the barbarous relic. That was back in 2000. Who was talking about gold then? Uh, and that was, um, that was, that's when, that's when you launched the Prudent Global Income Fund, was it not? Correct. Well, uh, been a believer in gold for a long time. And again, it, it stems from my belief in the Austrian School of Economics, Philip von Mies, Murray Rothbard, Frederick Hayek. And we put gold stocks inside our portfolio of the Prudent Bear Fund. And as I mentioned earlier, that really helped us achieve some success because what happened is the Federal Reserve again, was very accommodative. And what happens in very accommodative markets, sometimes equity prices can just levitate with all this money printing, but it eventually does benefit gold and silver. And you look back over 5,000 years of monetary history, it's essentially debasement of currency. And if you go to museums, any place around the world, you can look at coinage and you can see where uh, shaving has been taken off of precious metals of coins throughout passage of time. What happens is constituents want a continued increased standard of living and their leaders realize times are potentially getting rougher because of past mistakes they've made or just the passage of time and so what they do is they debase the currency and they take silver and gold off of those coins and that has happened dozens of times through history and the dollar has lost a great deal of value since the fed was founded uh, and the same thing is going on today with massive money printing and therefore gold and silver is a place to be. We had this period in the 2000s, very much like the 1930s, very much like the 1970s. I'm an investor in mining equities, and those were great decades of outperformance of gold and silver mining companies, where the increase was between 600% and 1200%, and we think we're at one of these periods today. It's lovely to put it into perspective, David. I mean, you, you, you're talking about 5,000 years of history. Um, you know what? We're all in danger of looking at a 10-minute bloody chart. And, you know, I mean, don't, don't we all? And that's the problem. We tend to overthink these things. I mean, I mean when I think about it, actually, you, you've been very successful in riding the short stocks, long gold trade for a long time. Look, even uh, with a diluted paper gold price, that's outperformed the S and P's. I mean, uh, I mean, and I, I remember those calls you made in the millennia, 
And, but I guess he, 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 here's a bit of a question. Um, with this Fed put in place for stocks, uh, with strong dollar, rising bond yields, I guess really the question is, until the stock market bubble pops, do you think gold can also rise with stocks for a while? Yes, I'm certainly anticipating that gold will rise with stocks. And in fact, that was my experience with Prudent Bear between 2003 to 2007 when the market was up and gold went up and gold stocks went up. So as I mentioned before, the levitation of equity markets is accompanied by people realizing that there's debasement of the currency and therefore gold will rise. We've already seen gold rally a fair amount off its bottom of uh, 1300 only a few years ago. And actually, even though we're disappointed in the second half performance of gold and silver in 2020, it was silver and gold were both up more than uh, most any other asset class. Uh, this has been a tough 2021 so far in terms of gold equities, but I've never been more confident with this backdrop of Federal Reserve policy and euro policy policy with the renminbi that we have aggressive uh, fiscal and monetary uh, backdrop and therefore gold and silver are going to perform exceptionally well i mean what you're saying now um really it we should all take note uh, david i mean history rhymes you've just taught you've just presented a, a view a 5,000 year view coin clipping is very similar to debasing of uh, the paper debasing of gold and silver as we see it now but so what, what what I was also interested in I remember back in June 2001 and this is this is also part of the part of the journey and and I think it's important um, because a lot of people as I say uh, are of different age groups here you were asked, I remember you were asked to testify before Congress regarding, um, it was the conflicts of interest of Wall Street. And, and that was a big thing to take on, the consequences of capital markets and the lack of integrity around them. Um, did this influence anything, David? Unfortunately, it really didn't. We, we talked about the issues of credit bubbles and we talked about the fact reckless monetary printing. We ended up having, one of the things we talked about is that 98% of recommendations coming from Wall Street ended up being buy recommendations. And I think Congress gave more lip service to it. Unfortunately, there were, there were a lot of congressmen that weren't even there, uh, but you know they put it on, on the, on, on, in the history books that they at least tried to listen. Yeah, well, this is at least at least you were there as a voice, and and uh, I'm sure that it did influence certain people in certain ways. And I think um, these things are it's important to 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 have the integrity to sell, tell the truth. And I think um, that 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 we thank you for that. And and basically, you don't know what kind of it's like a, the butterfly wing. You know, you don't know what kind of effect that has down the road. And and I think these it's really important to see that. And um, um, but really, you're someone who understands the implication of short selling, um, especially as it relates to gold and silver. Um, 
and the, and the, I think um, the trouble we that we see that the insiders are encountering as they try to unwind paper shorts is, is when you look at the even the, the the delayed ridiculously delayed report I mean how wild is that David I mean you get a in, in a picosecond world we a COT report that the report that comes out of the uh, out of the COMEX out of the CME is three days old when we remember it when the I mean you remember when TOCOM used to publish every single day they would publish the positions of each uh, central bank, Goldman Sachs, uh, sorry, of each um, bullion bank, Goldman, JP Morgan, whoever they were, not only would they report at the end of each day the actual long short to the, to, in other words, counting even who, how, whether they went long or short, uh, their, their aggregated positions. And then, of course, you know, <laughs> of course, that's, they stopped reporting out. Now, the COT report, talk about smoke and mirrors world. Um, in part of this coin clipping process that you talk about. Um, essentially, what, what, what these guys are doing is holding, using this as an instrument, because clearly if the data is available, were, was available for TOCOM to report at the end of each day, the data is available for the, for the CME at the end of each day. And the fact that you have to wait three days for them to publish this report is, is mind boggling. And, but what it does tell us, and, and through this smoke and mirrors, um, what it does tell us to me is that the, there's very little open interest or managed money open interest left for them to rinse out. And unless you've got someone to cover into, they were, I suppose really all you can do is try and incentivize uh, people to come in uh, and, and short the market, um, short gold and silver, which to me, to me, is that that's a dangerous thing at this point? Anything, David? So, Andrew, you've forgotten more about the gold market than I'll ever know, especially the mechanics of it. And therefore, I defer to you about some of this. What I'd love to talk about just a second is I'm a huge believer in this paper versus physical phenomena for both gold and silver. And like you said, uh, so much gold has been sold short in the paper markets because one thing I do believe is that the powers that be, the central banks, do not want to see gold go up because the central banks have their power with confidence. And really, this is a big confidence game. And the gold price rallying is a danger to investors calling the Federal Reserve on this confidence. And therefore, and, and the bullion banks, and frankly, the big Wall Street firms would just as soon not have gold and silver rise. We just saw a $920 million fine assessed against uh, JP Morgan for their manipulation in the gold market uh, not that long ago. So one of the things I believe is that this disconnect between paper pricing for gold and silver versus physical pricing is going to end. And there, that will likely end badly. There could be a force majeure and we will see the paper market less in control. And we already see silver prices for 
small coins being in the $35 range while we have the price of paper silver being 26. I think there's a great opportunity there. And I know this Wall Street Silver Group has come out. You and I have both appeared on that program as well as a number of other luminaries such as Jim Rogers and a number of other uh, great silver investors, Rick Rule, uh, David, uh, David Morgan. And they have seen the fact that silver is likely to rise a lot because of this disconnect between paper and physical. And therefore, there's going to be a short squeeze. And I think silver is going to skyrocket in price. Do you know that was going to be my next question because I, I, I watched your great interview on Wall Street Silver uh, and I was going to say, what are your thoughts on balancing silver and gold in your portfolio? I mean, so really what you're saying is um, essentially you would, would you value silver slightly above gold at this point in history? I would. The gold to silver ratio got as high as I think 128 about a year and a half ago or so. It's now at about 67 as of three or four days ago. Uh, it could very easily return to the 10 to 20 range, which is how it's come out of the ground. And therefore, that's where it's headed. And in fact, for some of the funds that we run, we're such a believer in silver, we've actually allocated part of our portfolio to silver bullion because it's harder to find silver mining equities and we feel like the disproportionate asymmetric return potential is so high in terms of silver that it deserves a separate category of investment and therefore we're a big believer in silver. Wow. I mean, that, 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 is, that is, is powerful information. I hope people listen to this because, you know, this is, you know, to, to be honest, I, you're, you're one of the great silverbacks. You know, you, you know you've, got, you've got experience and a lot of the young guys don't have the, the context that you have. But I'll tell you what, I'm talking about the new, new, new world here. Uh, that brings us beautifully onto the subject of digital gold. And clearly the trustless blockchain rails becomes the perfect solution to actually digitize physical gold into at least just small enough amounts to use it as a currency. So I guess what I'm leading to is, uh, as digital gold becomes a fellow traveler to the likes of Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies, um, the demand for physical gold would exponentially increase. Now, blockchain technology will kill the paper gold game, I think. Um, this can only be good for all gold investors, do you think? I think it will. I think that there, there are some new products coming out there. I know you're behind Kinesis, which is a great product. I know there's Pax Gold out there that is a gold-backed stable coin. Uh, I'm involved as an advisor with an Australian-backed uh, gold-backed cryptocurrency stable coin called Xbullion. I think there are going to be room for a lot of investors to come into gold but benefit from the value of blockchain and the, the divisibility of breaking gold up into small units, having credit cards 
that you can be able to utilize that will allow you to pay from your account that's gold for daily purchases, et cetera. So it's going to benefit. Why should you own cash in the bank these days at you know a quarter of a percent yield when frankly your cash in the bank is a liability of the bank? And we saw even during the pandemic, if you wanted to take out more than $25,000, I mean, I had an occurrence where they said, come back next Thursday. And there, therefore, we, that kind of environment is likely to come again. And high interest rates are an enemy of gold, but low interest rates are the friend of gold. So why not gold own gold? that you know you can get, you can hold it in your vault, you can hold it in a blockchain cryptocurrency vehicle that you know you can get, you don't have to ask a bank teller for your money. Yeah, that's so true. And then, and, and, and of course, if we, if we move just across the Atlantic and you go to Switzerland, I mean, you're talking about a negative th uh, three quarters of a basis point. I mean, I mean, I mean, essentially, and then, I mean, to me, Dave, this is, the, this is a form of bail-in because I know I've got a lot of clients in Switzerland and, um, and basically uh, they are restricted from pulling out more than 200, unless you've got a good lawyer and unless you're well-connected, you're trying to take more than 200,000 Swiss francs a year out of your account. And if you have a lot of money in there and you're being charged uh, three quarters of a, of a percent uh, to keep, for, to loan it to this bank, as you say, it's not even your money. You, you've kind of invested in this bank and you don't even see the balance sheet of this bank. I mean, this is crazy stuff. So you go and you'd think, well, the logical thing to do would be to go and take all your physical cash out and put it in a vault somewhere at a cheaper price. At least you wouldn't be paying a bank uh, this kind of erosion, but they won't let you take it out. And I think this is a bit of a worry because this is where we're all headed. Bail-ins are with us, don't you think? Oh, I was just going to bring up bail-ins because that's what Cyprus taught us. And I haven't studied this, not coming from a legal background, but there are a lot of people talking about how legislation has been issued that gives the US and Europe the capability to invoke bail-ins and essentially take dollars from your checking account to help recover, help the banks recover. And people just need to realize that your checking account is a liability of the bank and therefore gold is the one asset that's not someone else's liability and that's frankly all you need to know you own gold you own money it's been money for five thousand years as and i'm putting silver in this category as well but it's not a liability of another institution david you know these it's so refreshing to speak to somebody like yourself uh, i mean i, I want to thank you really so much for giving us some of your valuable time today and and i will ask you please will you come back again 
and um, and 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 carry on the story of this 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 as it unfolds because we've got some very interesting times to come in this next year. So much happening, so many changes coming on. As you say, you've identified pretty much what you identified in in the year two thousand and and at uh, two thousand eight already and and other times. So. It'll be interesting and uh, would really love you to come back at some point if, the, if you would be so kind. Oh, I'd love to. And Andrew, uh, to your listeners, I'd just say what a, a treasure you guys have with your host and Andrew to be able to impart his wisdom and nobody understands the mechanics of the gold market and backwardation and what's going on with futures and short selling, et cetera. I mean, this guy is an encyclopedia of knowledge and he understands what's going on behind the scenes every day and, and he's worth listening to. I'm humbled. Thank you very much, David. And thanks for coming on. We'll see you next time, Andrew. Look forward to breaking bread at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely.